Hello and welcome to No Rest for the Weekend, where we go behind the scenes and talk to the creators of independent entertainment. I'm Jason Godby, and with me in the Rabbit Hole studio today, he is an accomplished producer and the director of the new sci-fi indie film 2050, Mr. Princeton Holt. Welcome, Princeton. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming, man. I appreciate you schlepping to Brooklyn. Uh, we, <laughs> o- we always like it when people come down. About five or six stops. You're a New York boy, right? Yes, so, you know, you know the neighborhood kind of thing. I know the hood. But anyway, thanks for coming down. We covered... Your film, we covered the opening of 2050, right. Great job. which that was, was awesome. we got to interview you then briefly. So now we get to do, we get to relax a little bit more, and talk more, and talk a little bit more. Right. But that was a great interview with uh, you. Interviewed with Ilaria uh, Malvetse. Yeah, like two minutes. I think, I think a two minute clip or something. Yeah, we did. We you know that that's like the the industry standard for for red that carpet, was, man. That was right. She just boom, 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 and yep. it was great. Yeah, well, you were literally running into the theater for the premiere, so we were trying oh, to get really? everybody. We got a lot oh, of the you actors. Got me before. Yeah, we got you just before the uh, oh, just before the opening. I didn't know that. You were literally like about to like scoot into the theater when we got you. Okay. We're going to talk about 2050. Okay. Uh, but first, I want to talk about you and kind of how you got into this mess uh, of filmmaking, <laughs> this crazy business, indie film. Uh, so, how did you get started? How, what brought you to filmmaker? What's your origin story, so to speak? I saw a movie. <laughs> That's what did it. Uh, it's called Magnolia by Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, and when I saw that movie, I was I was just in love and but I didn't know that what I had seen that first time I, f- I was like I saw something and it was with me and so I had to go see it again I think I drove all the way into uh, into the city at the time to see it again and right after that that was it um and uh, I enrolled in film school right after and uh, we've been married ever since from then so the initial inspiration you got into producing first before you got into directing no, or no no I, I started loving the writing and directing did that enjoyed that um and but inevitably what happens is if you are a filmmaker if you're doing all you, you end up doing the producing work yourself anyway you know um and then you're doing so much producing and then it just leads to, it grows and grows and your knowledge grows uh if, if you if you wait to put your hands put your put your film uh, put your project in the hands of a of a producer that's supposed to raise money they're not he or she's not working fast enough for you and not not un, unturning every stone and then you end up doing that so you, you produced know. and directed your own early films yes when you started i out. had of course i had partners and producing partners but did I you start also, out with features or you start out with making shorts 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 and then we come to uh 2050 mm-hmm. which just came out this year how did that film sort of come about that you so this is your brainchild, um, am I right? Did you write this as well? No. Okay. Uh, this the script was written by Brian Ackley. Okay. Who I produced for plenty of times. I see. So you already had a you had a relationship there already. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we produced a feature. Uh, I produced his feature about three or four years ago. So another feature, low budget sci fi movie. Um, um, and then he wrote this one. And I directed this one. How did you come to direct it? Was it just kind of you had the vision for it? You had the like right sensibility for it? When the project started out, um, I knew I was going to direct it. Okay, um, and then we began raising the money for it, and and um, that was through Equity Investors. About I want to say maybe five or six people. So at that point, I have to direct it, right? I know I'm going to show. I know as a producer, I know. I trust myself to come on, come come in under budget and on time. Right, right. I I, I trust myself to be economical and, and fast. I work really fast, um, and so there's there's that. It's one when you have investors 
you're responsible for getting the best person for that particular job. And in that case, this in this case, it happened to be me. Yeah, I find that happens a lot with certain projects. You're just like, well, you know, I could get somebody else to do it, but if I'm in control of it, I know that uh, oh, yeah. I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring it to to fruition uh, yeah. the best way possible yeah. with the means that I have. Yeah. Um, yeah. So producing and directing at the same time is a nightmare. Yeah, it's. Re- I think it's really hard for anybody <laughs> doing anything, but it, to try to do the feature film, it's a nightmare. It's it's a it's a marathon. You yeah. know. I uh, always advise against it. Try your best to get a. Pro- if you're going to do, if you're going to direct the movie, get yourself a producer that you trust. You do the producing leading up to it, and then get out of the way and go away and make your shot list. You know, go listen to your music, go get in your zone, <laughs> and get prepared. Be able to the, be a director, and yeah, for that matter of weeks or days that you're working, just you should be, you know, fortunate. I know it's not always not easy. Fortunate enough to be able to just direct. Um, when I Brian, who wrote the script for 2050, when I produced his film, I was the direct, I was the producer that I always wanted as a as a director, where I took care of the schedule, took care of the money. Brian didn't have to do anything but write the script, um, show up and and work, which is a lot of work. Yeah. But taking the comp the, the conflicts, I had to fight all the battles, the, the the wounds that you take on every project of annoying situations that don't make any sense that you still have to fix. Um, I got to keep that away from Brian, and uh, and that, I think that that's the. I mean, it's a it's a luxury, and I was happy to experience working with somebody who had that luxury. Um, I wish it for myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's not always that that easy. I feel like a lot of times, and this you find this in, in not only uh, film but also on television. Like a lot of times, a producer is. The, he's sort of like the goalie, like the hockey goalie yep. between uh, the, the forces of darkness and the creator. Oh, yeah. That's a great way to put it. Forces of darkness. <laughs> like try- forces of pure darkness and, and ego and, and greed and everything annoying. <laughs> yeah. and, and just trying to like get that person so that they can do what they need to do, which is hard enough. <sighs> you know? and, and then when you have to deal with yourself, like I produced a lot of my own stuff and you know, uh, I try to I try to keep everything very much to the minimal, like so that I don't have those aches and pains, and I, I can, and a lot of pre-production too, like, yeah. like make sure that that prep is done, so that when a time I get on set, I'm not worried about stuff I should have done a month ago. Sure. So before we get too into it, we started talking a little bit about the making of it. But for those, we've had Stephanie Bloom on the show, who's yep. great. Great uh, episode. She talked a little bit about. She talked a little bit about 2050, but uh, mm-hmm. for those who didn't catch that or didn't see the the opening coverage, give me like the log line. Give me like a little synopsis of 2050 and what it is. 2050, uh, I, the, new, the new log line is better than the old one. So uh, David wrote the new one. David's my uh, producing partner, and he, he's the lead actor. Uh, I think I, I want to say it his way. A, a man strugg- a family man struggling struggling to hold it all together thinks he has found the solution, dot, 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 sex bots. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this takes place. Well done, David. <laughs> this takes place in the year 2050 in New York City. And you're making this uh, You're making this movie, and obviously you've got some challenges just because we don't live in the year 2050. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to speculate, you know, what's happening 30 years from now. And yeah. also uh, dealing with things like technology and, and certain questions. But sure. you you have the you're working on um, what I'm assuming is an indie budget. Oh yeah. And so how talk, talk to me a little bit about the making. For for instance, one one question I find is very telling that I've asked a lot of my guests who have done features. Yeah. How many days did you have to shoot? To oh wow. Shoot it? How many production days? Great question. Nineteen. Whew. Nineteen in total. 
So you're going um, 19 total. Wow. Okay. So that's not as bad as some of I've heard. Some we had somebody earlier who said she shot a feature in like 12 days. I shot a feature once in four days. Oh my God. That's and, like Roger Corman, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, like yeah. old and, school. And Netflix was calling us. Okay. That's, yep. Four days. It, it was, but I didn't. It was improv. Two takes a piece. I, that was my my shooting ratio was like two to one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're doing it that way, you can shoot quite a bit in a couple of days. And you know, with this, uh, but you this know, took 19. It was 19. Yeah. I mean, your script. Well, this is a lot more involved. You know, this I is... moved the camera a lot. Um, Jared, yes. Jared is uh, Jared Royball is our um, DP, and we talked early on so, uh, to finish your your question about this, the process starting. Mm-hmm. Um, once the money was finally in place. I sat down and, and I was interviewing DPs, and this was a very special thing. I, I, I needed a relationship with the DP. I didn't need somebody who was just gigging. Um, I, this was a marriage. I, I had to bond with the DP. I, I, I made sure that I bonded with the DP on this one the same way that I make sure that there's a bond with the talent and the actors and mm. myself. Um, there's, there needs to be a trust. But plus, we wanted, I want to tap into both of our uh, goals. Right. And what do we want to what do we want to try that we haven't done before? So I told him when he saw what I wanted to do with the camera, he was like, I was I was thinking oh, I was going to be fast. I'm used to shooting fast. And, you know, I, I know that I'm, I'm on sticks, but, you know, I didn't expect what happened, which is what he said. Hey, Princeton, you're moving the camera on so much of this. And not only that, you're dollying, you're using the dolly a lot. I need somebody to pull focus. I need an AC. Right. Hey, budget item. Ding. So that's what I'm hearing the budget item goes, furthermore, <laughs> I need a gaffer, man. I'm like, are you sure I'm doing a lot of available light? Why do we need a gaffer? He goes, trust me, we need a gaffer. And then he goes, and again, and I'm like, okay, don't. I don't know if this is working. <laughs> if this is going to work. You need too much stuff. Um, he says, I also could use a grip. And, uh, and I'm like, okay. So basically you need the whole shebang. He needs, <laughs> a, ca- he needs a camera crew, obviously. He needs yeah. a crew. For somebody, for me, you know, I've always found a way to not have to do all those and not have to hire all those in the, to save costs. But the, he, he, he said that the reason was because there's the dolly, because of moving the camera so much, there's the dolly moving, there's the focus pull. Um, and so in, in general, and then he was, we used the Ronin. Yeah, yeah. Shots, and that's, that's the thing, it's heavy. You yeah. Know? Uh, so... You need somebody to pull focus for that, right? So, we gave him what he what he what we uh, what he asked for, and he he just he killed it. Once you decide to move the camera, yeah, every time like every time I've ever done that, you start to see that budget sheet go up and up and oh, up yeah. because you need more people, you need more light, mm-hmm. you need more time, yeah, you know, because to like for instance, there's a couple of shots early on in the film that you have. Uh, where you get some like you have some really beautiful slow push-ins. Yeah. You know how many rehearsals do you have to do with that dolly to get that nice and smooth? <laughs> and how many and how many times do they miss the focus? Or how many times do you have to? That like, happens. That happens a lot. Um, we shot two three five uh, scope. That was the DP again. That was Jared who who says I think we should shoot two three five. Like we bonded or we were bonded yeah. early during the courting period when he the first. Well, I think that fits your sensibility though. Yeah. I think that that wide angle that anamorphic stuff that fits your. It fits you. It fits good, the movie, but it also fits like um, what I was doing with the camera. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm because when you that. when you do those move ins and stuff, you have that, and it's nice to see on a big screen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And fits the fact that you guys are you know getting the movie theatrically released as yeah. opposed to doing everything 
We're going to pay for it on smaller. We'll pay for it a little bit on smaller screens. Right. Um, but we took that, you know, but then again, all the Hollywood movies shoot two, three, five. So why not? There is a cinematic quality to it that says, this is cinema. It's not the stuff. It's not TV. Okay. You know, and it looks like, it looks like a movie. That was the, the intention was a part of that courting process. When, and one of the first things Jared said is, I think we should shoot two, three, five. And I'm like, Ooh. This is a marriage. If, yeah. that, that, if that's your first thought as a DP, you're not. He wasn't talking about problems that you usually hear. People are like, well, it's going to be a problem. Nah, Jared said, I think we need to shoot two, three, five. And I was like, this is going to, this is going to, this is going to, this is going to work. Um, and then we challenged each other in terms of look. Uh, you maybe your, your your listeners will appreciate this. I saw an interview on a movie. Uh, the movie, um, what's the Greta Gerwig movie that she did with? Um, Ladybird? Nope. Before that, that um, Noah Baumbach did with her. Oh, uh, Francis. Francis Ha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I went. I my wife and I went to go see Francis Ha at IFC Theater uh, during the opening. Mm-hmm. My wife didn't like it. I loved it. <laughs> my wife didn't like the character. The cra- the character drove her nuts. Okay. Uh, she she said she just she didn't like the fact that she was so indecisive and that drove her nuts. She she just was a mess. So she didn't like the main character. But I like the black and white cinematography. Uh, cinematography. I'm a big fan of black and white. Yeah, me too. <laughs> that was the movie that she wanted to look like Manhattan, like Woody Allen's Manhattan. Oh, really? That was the plan was okay. to make that movie look like Manhattan. It did. You know, it had a and it had a very similar t- similar look. But I, this is the conversation. So I saw the movie Francis Ha, and and I, I was listening to the commentary and one of their supplemental supplemental materials, and the DP and the colorist were talking, and with Noah, and he said a statement. He said the problem with digital film, with filmmakers, is and they're they're always trying to make it look like reality. Mm. They're mimicking reality. The eye is almost it's a weird um, instinct or a weird sort of instinct or whatever or 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 calling or i don't know um people are choosing to mimic reality and he goes that he goes when we shot celluloid we had the freedom to make things look any kind of way we wanted in technicolor we played with stuff we wanted to we made, we went more extreme and the filmmakers that are working digitally are making things look like reality and so that's what he said that that's what they were trying to do with francis ha and that stuck with me mm. so i so in that in the conversations with jared I said the same thing to him, and I'm like, "We can go, we can, we can, we can break all the rules here. I don't want anything to look like reality because it's not yet." Visually. And that also helps sell the futuristic nature of the movie, because if it looks like right now, you know, then it's not, it's not the future. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you, you don't have like. Yeah, that's a good point. Like if you look like classic movies in the same genre like if you look at something like Blade Runner mm-hmm. Blade Runner does not look like reality no you know no nope. it's nothing is that beautiful in reality if you watch yeah. you know the, the the sequel that they just did 2049 is one of the most beautiful uh, things I've ever seen in really it's it's gobsmackingly gorgeous oh especially when you see it on a big screen yeah nothing it, life doesn't look like that because it's no. not now it's set you know 50 years it's set 30 years in the future yeah, yeah you know and for the record yeah. I prefer indie indie films that do are handheld Mm. And have a gritty look. That's what I mean. You can't tell from this movie, but if you look at my last film, uh, Ten Commandments of Chloe, you can definitely see I'm a fan of that handheld. Uh, I don't think we were that handheld a lot on that, but I'm a fan of gritty, handheld sort of dramas that are tight. 
on the character. I love. There's not my favorite shot in cinema is the is the handheld close up. The real. film. If I would say look wise, I'd say you probably you uh, your filmmaker wears your influences on your sleeve. That was um, the intention. I saw. We, did, we went. We went. Pulp, we went. Uh, Tarantino on this one. You, I saw <laughs> a lot of Kubrick in okay. it. I I've, I felt like very Kubrick, maybe a little David Fincher ish in the some of the shots. In terms of the like, he's not a handheld guy either. Yeah, you know, he's very much like motion control. But yeah. the first one that gobsmacked me, like the one that kind of hit me between the eyes, was like, oh, this this guy likes Stanley Kubrick a lot. Which shot? Um, I'm curious. There was because I know tonally that was going for Kubrick. There was a couple of straightforward, I, and I and I don't exactly remember when, okay. what part of the film, but there was a couple of straightforward push-in shots that were like your subjects, like in the middle of the frame. And, you know, like Kubrick was one of these guys who he put the crosshairs right on the middle. Yeah. And he would he would middle frame things. He would put yes. frame things in the very middle of the. Of yeah. The, yeah. All of it. All and, of it. It, and it would be like, look at this. Yes. You know, a very much uh, in your face. OK. Nothing angled. No, you know, like, like, for instance, the shot of Jack Torrance in the snow at the end of The Shining. Yeah. Is dead on. Dead man. On. He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. bam, <laughs> like dead guy. Boom. Right. I can right tell here. you. I can tell you this, though. This is going to sound crazy, <laughs> but I was thinking Wes Anderson for that. He does the same thing. He is yeah, very for much— For some reason, I didn't associate it with Kubrick because, I, in my mind, I had already said, all right, Kubrick's the tone influence. Right. Don't take anything—people—we're people, getting a lot of—can I swear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we get, we're getting shit for, um, <laughs> for that choice, and that's okay. I mean, you know, some people don't like it. Some people do. But— all the Kubrick's films were. I'm not. You don't hear every word because that classical music is going. Mm-hmm. He's trying to. Sh- he wants you to feel something. Um, whether and that's going to remove you from the characters, but that's the in, that's the intention. Clockwork right. Orange is wall to wall classical music. Mm-hmm. Um, 2000, I, 2001 is the same 2001, thing. Yeah. You know, so Eyes Wide was not was not, but um, um, most of his other stuff is just wall to wall music. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I guess psychologically, I might have. Carried but, on, but the Wes Anderson look. I, I don't know if Wes stole it from Kubrick, mm. but yeah, he does that straight on framing, and he also does a lot cur- of. I've always been curious about that framing, and I guess I took it out yeah. with, with him in mind instead of Kubrick this time. But yeah, you see, like even on *The Shining* or something like that, yeah. you, you know, he told the camera operator to be like, you know, dead on, put the thing yeah. right in the center, and you know, to the part where uh, Gareth Brown, uh, who operated the Steadicam, was like, you know, Stanley, they don't print the crosshairs, like nobody's gonna see. <laughs> Yeah. If somebody's a millimeter off, but you know he that it was, no, he was he was so exact about that. Yeah, and also just the the subject matter and everything. Uh, Having everything know. centered did gave gave us the outer worldly um, satiric feel. I thought, uh, and then it makes it lighter. That's a that 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 uh that's a good that's a good one to use if you're doing more comedic stuff. What were some of the challenges that you faced um, trying to get this thing made? This is going to be heavy, so let's go there. One of the worst experiences that you can feel, and I, and I, I can say that I, I would imagine a majority of your filmmakers, listeners, will relate to this. One of the loneliest things that you can ever experience on a, is uh, when you're making a movie is when you look up, and besides, outside of the actors who are also having a blast, you're the only one having fun. Did you feel like... that There, there were days like that. Yeah. I, well, because you're trying to, you know, I mean, you're trying to, how long is this movie? Sometimes I'm having a blast. You can see the camera whip, 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 whip. Yeah, so yeah. Some of those montages. Mm-hmm. I'm coming to work like, this is this is going to be so much fun. I know none of you have this on your reels because I don't have my, on my, this is right. our opportunity to to have these looks. 
isn't this fun? Isn't this great? And it's like, when's lunch? <laughs> okay. Well, because everybody is working their asses off. They're getting to, paid to we, try to get every, that. You what, know. Okay, we got paid. We're get. We're, we mm-hmm. got. We, our pay is taken care of. Our travel reimbursement is taken care of. Our food's taken care of. Can we relax and have some fun? Okay. You, I always feel like, and that's not the case. And yeah. That is maddening. <laughs> the, the. I think one of the challenges though is like when you when you're doing that stuff or when you're challenging people to try to get that feel on set where everybody's relaxed enough to do their thing yes but still have the pressure of like we gotta make this day day. yeah we gotta make this day or you know we're not we don't have the movie and i can't afford the i have to say though there were days that that happened as we went along there was this really relaxed i am if if one thing that i do I, I, i create a relaxed set if there's one thing I do that I know, the, the rela- it's very family and, and fun and relaxed, um, even when it's intense. So I, I think that tonally we did that, and I did create that, and I think with help from David, my my, co- my uh, producing partner, we helped do that. But there were some days that were, you know, it was it was a little tense, and I don't know if it was the setups or people were nervous. That said, eventually there were some days that we had the right combination of crew, and it was harmonious, more mm-hmm. harmonious, or the later we got down in the in the shoot it just okay Wait. when we did the q and a um when, when i saw the q and a at okay. uh, at the at the premiere uh, uh-huh. everybody was talking about they they felt like they had enough freedom and yeah. you kind of you gave people like a space to create and stuff like that yeah this, that's that's my move is to let it come from them and try to stay out of their way. Mm-hmm. And I, that's learned behavior. That's learned me learning what the greats did. I heard people say it, and I thought it sounded great to try. And if it works, I would use it, and it works. And casting is 80% of the battle right there. Oh, you know, I'd say 90. Yeah, like you, if you get the right people, you're going to have such a much better time. That's a and, fact. If you, Casting is, is, then is 90% of directing. The other 10%, just keep, keep an eye on them, watch them. Don't watch your monitor all the time. Watch them, have fun, and, and remind them to conserve their energy. And if they if you have they have a question, be there to answer it. Um, I got to wrap up in a little bit here, but um, in terms of uh, the distribution for the movie, because that's another big challenge people want to know about. Mm-hmm. You guys have actually gotten this into some theaters. Uh, yeah, and about what, f- what four different cities so and, far? And like, how were you able to do that? How 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 did that work? How was that? That's, a, that's a distributor's job. Okay, <laughs> uh, that's a distributor's job. Uh, Anarchy is controlling our. our New York, uh, New York, our North American rights. Their job is to pay the the PNA cost uh, to get it in theaters um, and all of that. But it's it's expensive, time consuming, and and very very difficult. So that there's no there's no tried and true method. Right? Is it? Do you find that for this particular film though, that's the right way to go, and that's been the right way to get attention for the film? Because you guys gotten quite a few write ups. A lot of, lot of know, attention for the film in terms for of an indie film. Like I'm seeing a lot of write ups about it, which is tremendous. So what we did is we do, did. You ever see a movie called Coherence? Mm-mm, I haven't seen it. All right, that's that. We were talking off camera before we started. <laughs> you want to? You, you? I know what you're looking for. Look, watch that movie. Okay, fifty thousand dollars. Seven screen, seven theaters. I mean, seven cities. Mm-hmm. Same, and we designed the the release strategy after Coherence. Coherence opened in in seven cities. Um, they made a nice amount of money in those in those theaters before the VOD, um, and then VOD came sort of towards the tail end of their theatrical. They did seven cities. They got carried over once, just like we did. We opened in L.A. 
um, on March 1st at, uh, in, at, one, at, at one screen in, in L.A., and we did so well that opening weekend. They extended in another week, um, and then we traveled to Baltimore. Then it went to uh, Nashville. Um, so we, we, we sort of patterned it after coherence and sort of the way that they rolled it out, which is a rare thing. Usually most independent films these days do day and date. But we wanted to say we wanted to sort of just make it available only theatrically at first. And you guys traveled with the film, too. Like you went to cities and appeared right. and did Q&A's and stuff like and, that. And you know who we got that from? We got that from Coherence. Well, OK. <laughs> they, I mean, we, we, what we noticed, guys, if you're going to do this or plan a theatrical, you can get on. You can you can get theatrical yourself. It's just going to be a lot of exp- it's going to be very expensive. So in that case, you want to probably try to find a distributor to do that. But what we did, a part of our marketing plan that that we saw that they did is they had a cast and crew member at every after every one uh, after every evening showing. So the seven o'clock show on Friday and the seven o'clock show on Saturday, you could usually find the director there afterwards to do Q and A in the cast. I know uh, Kevin Smith has been doing that with his films too. It's like a Kevin Smith road show. Road show. He goes out and and talks about the film because people will go there to see him. Yeah. You know, and and if you're an indie sci-fi geek or you're like really into that, yeah, you'll go see your movies because um, you know what, Princeton's going to be there. I can I can ask him a question yeah, afterwards. Ask the questions right there. You know, yeah. And, and, uh, and see the proof in the pudding. See what the film is like on a big screen. Sure, sure. And check out that. I model. gotta say, our best nights, our best, our best performing um, days. Theatrically, were the nights that we showed up for Q and A. It makes it special. It makes it different than just going to see a movie. You know, yeah. like it, it it enhances the the theatrical experience. I say Nashville when Nashville David went to Nashville, mm. and that was a strong, strong turn. I think almost half for for that for just one that opening night was pretty impressive for us. Um, and then and then you know throughout. So sometimes sometimes you show up that that that'll be potentially sometimes your best night. I, I got to get rolling here, but. Um, do you have any up- upcoming projects that you want to talk about? Like anything that's coming out next? Uh, just 2050. Okay. Uh, look out for <laughs> look out for 2050. Um, the, uh, we're we're in mid theatrical right now, so we're we're working on finding out where our next places to show up are theatrically. Um, but you can follow us on 20 at 2050.com. I'm 2050movie.com. 2050 across all 2050 movie across all the socials. 2050movie.com. There's a site. There's a link on the site that let you know which city it's at, etc. Excellent. And where can people find you if they want to know more about you? Do you have a website? I don't. I don't have a website. Um, they can find me on Twitter. Okay. What's your Twitter handle? At Princeton Holt. At Princeton Holt. So if you <laughs> want to ask him questions after this, at Princeton Holt. Holl. Um, so anyway, I'm going to wrap up. But thanks for coming, man. I really appreciate it. Me, and uh, thank you all for joining us. For more episodes of this show, you can always find them on our website, norestoftheweekendpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on all the major podcast channels, uh, Stitcher, Apple, iTunes, uh, whatever. And please you know, be sure to uh, like and rate and share and get the, the word out if you like this show. We really appreciate it. Once again, I'd like to thank my guest, Princeton Holt. Uh, Thanks for coming. And I'm Jason Godby for Behind the Robert Productions. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.